0: But hey, today we're continuing uh, our series through the Gospel of Mark. And uh, my name is Stephen, by the way. I'm the youth pastor here at the church. And uh, we're continuing our series today through the Gospel of Mark. And I believe today is the 43rd installment in this series. And so it's been a great series so far. And today we're gonna be talking uh, in Mark chapter 12, starting in verse 35. Um, But before we get to that, I just wanna tell you just a quick little story uh, about when I was a kid. Um, growing up, we had a local Christian bookstore in town. You might grow up with a Christian bookstore kind of in your town. Um, they had a lot of like kind of fun names for these Christian bookstores. Uh, I know my Christian bookstore, it was originally called The Olive Branch, and then they later changed it to The Lamb's Well, and then I think at some point uh, they made it into an olive garden, and so I don't, I don't know. Uh, if they still sell Christian stuff there or not. But uh, but growing up, we had this Christian bookstore, and they had all kind of like necklaces and Bibles. And uh, if you're kind of unfamiliar, it's like anything related to Jesus that you could like buy, I guess, Uh, like choir robes, special order only. Uh, You could burn your own mix CDs. Like they had like blank CDs there. You could pick different songs and stuff. I always thought that was kind of cool when the new wow worship would come out every single year. But there was, uh, one per, there was one particular gift my mom bought me one year uh, for my Christmas or birthday or something, and she got it from this Christian bookstore, and it was a poster. And the poster had all these different names for God on it. So at the top it said, He shall be called. And then it like lists all these names for God in, in the Bible, some of which you've you know, heard before. Uh, you know It's like Jehovah Jireh or He's the light of the world or the Rose of Sharon. And uh, it just kind of kept going on and on and on. And then at the very bottom, it said, he's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. And then really big at the bottom is the word Jesus Christ. And every morning when I would wake up, before I would go to school, I would read these names on this poster. And it was very encouraging to me, even as like a middle schooler and a high schooler. And then, um, so I became became a little bit more familiar with the names of God. We sang about some of the names of God this morning, uh, powerful worship, powerful songs just talking about what it means for God to be our Adonai and, and uh, Elohim. and We're going to be talking about some of that today. But growing up a, a, a kind of a Christian kid, there's something that happened to me along my faith journey, and it was this. I began to know a lot about God. I, I knew the facts. I knew the information. I knew what they taught me in Sunday school. I knew what they taught me in kids' church. But oftentimes th- that knowledge that I had of God did not always translate to a change of my heart. I knew a lot about Jesus, but I didn't know Jesus personally. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, there's a lot of people in the room that you might fall into that category. And, and if I could just kind of throw out an idea to you that, that maybe, maybe the category that you would find yourself in is that you're a Christian skeptic. And what I mean by that is you, you know the right answers to the Bible questions. You know You have some knowledge of who Jesus is. But somewhere along the way, you decided in your heart that the stories in the Bible and the story of Jesus was just a little too good to be true. And if you find yourself in that place today where you're like, you know what, I'm coming to church because my wife wants me to go. Or I'm coming to church because maybe my parents make me come here or, or, or whatnot. I want to let you know that you found yourself in a place where today I want to encourage you a little bit. And I want to ca- challenge you as well because I have found myself in that place before too. Um, I, I want to just be an encouragement to you that the stories about Jesus that you heard as a kid, they really are true. They really did happen, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that today. Um, and there's a second group of people I want to talk to as well, and these are the people that maybe you've been saved for a long time. Like Jesus signed your yearbook, that's how long you've been saved, right? And, and you've just been saved a long time, and, and maybe you've become a little judgmental or a little harsh towards people who are far from God. I want to talk to you and challenge and encourage you as well. But if you would open up your Bibles today, Mark chapter 12, starting in verse 35. I'm going to read the text for you. It says, as Jesus taught in the temple, he said this, how can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself and the Holy Spirit declared, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord, so how is he his son? And the great throng, or crowd, heard him gladly. Verse 38, and in his teaching he said, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces, and they have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feast. Who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers, they will receive the greater Condemnation. Let's just pause for a second and pray and ask that the Lord would speak to us today through His Word. Lord, what an honor it is that we get to worship you, Lord, in a building that has heat. Praise God. But we just pray today through the reading of Your Word, through the preaching of Your Word, Lord, that You would speak to us in a way that only You can. Lord, that You would give us the hope and the peace that so many of us are desperately looking for. Lord, help us to realize that the stories in the Bible aren't just stories, but they really did happen, and that we can find a new life, hope and peace in you when we give our lives to you. And in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So let me give you a little bit of a background on what's going on in this passage of Mark chapter 12. As we've been studying the last couple weeks, Jesus often finds himself in a temple setting, uh, maybe very similar to this, where there's a crowd of people, and they are learning. And Jesus is a great teacher. He's a great orator. Everything he says is just full of wisdom and just full of knowledge. And and so often when he preaches, the crowd is just amazed at the knowledge that he brings to them. But unlike a crowd like this, there's a few people in the crowd that often like to give Jesus a hard time. Now, please do not give me a hard time today. I'm not Jesus, okay? But there's always a handful of people in the crowd that kind of like when he, maybe in the middle of his teaching or towards the end of his teaching, they question some of the things that he says. And they're not doing this from a place of wanting to gain more knowledge, but instead they're doing it from a place where they're trying to kind of put Jesus in a corner and get him to say something wrong or get him to say something uh, blasphemous, something against God so that they can prove that he is actually not the son of God like he often says that he is. And so in Mark chapter 12, it's likely been a long day of questions and they're asking him all kinds of stuff. And so he kind of gets to the point where it's now it's his turn to ask them a question. Now, the crowd that day didn't have the knowledge that we have, but in research, you can find that when this teaching takes place, that Jesus was only three days away from being crucified on the cross. There's urgency. You can, you can tell that Jesus knows that his time is coming, and it's really important to him that he is proving to the people, once again, that he truly is the Son of God. And he even gives a warning against some of these religious leaders that he knows in just three days are going to be part of the crowd that leads people to crucify him. So he asks this simple question to them. He says, how can your religious leaders say, in other words, how can these skeptics in the crowd, how can these people who are giving me a hard time, how can your religious, people, religious leaders say that the Christ is the son of David? How can they say that? Now, I believe that Jesus' question was rhetorical. I don't believe that he was looking for someone to raise their hand and say, hey, I I have an answer for this. But Jesus' question simply serves as an introduction to his teaching. He pauses for a moment and he quotes David. Now, this is the same David that killed Goliath. This is the same David that uh, had, had a moral failure with Bathsheba. This is the same David that was king. He quotes David in a psalm that would have been Widely known to them. And he says this. It comes from Psalm 110, verse 1. He says, David himself and the Holy Spirit declared, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. And at first glance, this psalm kind of seems uh, irrelevant. irrelevant. I'll admit the first time I kind of read through it, I was thinking, I don't really understand what why Jesus is quoting this Psalm. I don't even really understand what David is is trying to say. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. I don't really understand what's going on. But you see, the Messiah in that day and age, it was it was understood and an accepted truth that the Messiah would one be one day be the son of David. I mean, this wasn't even something people would argue about. I mean, it's kind of like a baseline. Like everybody would have been like, Yeah, of course. Yeah, we know what. We know what it says, you know, in Scripture. We know that that the Messiah is going to be a descendant of David. And this is still a popular belief today among Orthodox Jews, that the Messiah will come from the line of David. The listeners in the crowd were probably thinking, where is he going with this? You may be in the crowd today going, where is he going with this? But there's something special in this one verse that jumps off the page that's not seen at first glance. You see, David in this scripture, in Psalm 110, it says that he is speaking in the Holy Spirit. And I don't have time to go into all of it, but just know that the Holy Spirit that resides uh, here on earth today and and resides in us in the Old Testament was not on earth to to stay. The Holy Spirit would often descend upon a certain leader or a certain king or a certain prophet so that they could do the work of the Lord. And when that job was done, the Holy Spirit would ascend back into heaven. And so here, David, only through the power of the Holy Spirit. This isn't because David... uh, was anything special other than he was someone that God decided to use, okay? So David, under the power of God's Holy Spirit, listen to this, he overhears a conversation that's actually happening in heaven. Now, I know that seems pretty crazy to think about, that a human being on earth could, like, somehow tune in, tune their radio in to, like, heaven's broadcast. But that's what's going on here. David, through the power of the Holy Spirit, he's hearing a conversation that is happening in heaven. He says, I hear the Lord say to my Lord. You see, David is hearing two different persons talk. And how do we know it's two different persons? Well, in your Bible and in mine, and the scripture we put on the screen today, it says, The Lord said to my Lord. It's the same word, Lord, used twice. But as you read scripture and as you study scripture, the Bible was not originally written in English. It was written in Greek and Hebrew and a little bit of Aramaic. And so in the original language, it doesn't say, The Lord said to my Lord. It says, Jehovah said to my Adonai. And this is really important because Jehovah is the name for God or Yahweh. And those Yahweh and Jehovah are used interchangeably in scripture. They mean God. In heaven, right? The God who created the heavens and the earth. The God who was with David when he killed Goliath. The God who delivered the Israelites from the the hands of the Egyptians, okay? The God who parted the Red Sea. They would have been very familiar with this God. But the word Adonai is not specific just for God like Yahweh is. Adonai can simply mean my boss or my leader or my Lord or the person that I serve. And so David, he's hearing this conversation He says, Jehovah or Yahweh says to Adonai, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. You see, David's words that the Jews held in the highest honor would not be true if his descendant was just his descendant. His descendant also had to be the Messiah, he must be more. You see, Jesus is not only David's descendant, but he's also God's son. He's the Adonai that David refers to. He's both human through David and divine through God. He's both fully man and fully God. He was born of the flesh, but only through God's spirit. Jesus takes the words from David here in Psalm one ten one. David being one of the more influential people in the Jewish faith, the only people that would even have any credibility to be more influential would be, be maybe Moses or Abraham. He takes one of the most influential voices and he uses that scripture to illustrate that the Messiah is not only a descendant of David, but also the son of God. This is what Jesus was trying to teach him. He knew he only had three more days to get his point across. But unfortunately, many in the crowd failed to see this. And tragically, many people today still do not see this truth. You know, a lot of people would say that, yeah, we know Jesus was this Jewish man. He lived and he was a good teacher, but I don't know about all that son of God stuff. You know, I, I believe Jesus was a good person and, and I believe he had some good teachings, but I just don't really know if that's the case. I, wanna, I want you to understand this, that we can prove that Jesus was a real person that walked around on earth. We can prove this. Even if the Bible didn't exist, there are secular writings that talk about a man named Jesus from Nazareth who walked on planet Earth and claimed to be the son of God. So we can prove without any doubt whatsoever that Jesus did in fact walk on planet Earth. To say that you don't believe in Jesus is just as foolish as saying that you don't believe in Abraham Lincoln. We have historical documents that prove that his exi- his existence. So it's not a matter of did Jesus exist or did he not exist? That, that, that's not even a, a good question because we know that he did. The better question you have to ask yourself is, is what Jesus said actually true? Was he really the son of God? Was there really a kingdom of God that is beyond our, our, our own comprehension? It kind of reminds me of this. When, when I was in high school, I had a teacher uh named mrs hilliard are there any teachers in the house today just wave at me teachers administrators people that serve in our schools hey god bless you guys can we give it up for these folks just thanks for serving and serving our community you're making a big difference i know you know that but i wanted to tell you that i had a teacher in high school named mrs hilliard and she was my favorite teacher and she taught um actually my least favorite subject which was english that shows how good of a teacher she really was But Mrs. Hilliard, she she taught English, and um, she was a great teacher. She was very loving. She was very kind. I'm pretty sure Mrs. Hilliard was actually the oldest teacher that I ever had um, because she retired like the year after I graduated. She had had served a really long time. But Mrs. Hilliard, she was, uh, man, great. She was kind. She was gracious, just thoughtful. Um, She always made you feel smart, even if at times you weren't really acting smart. And um, just a kind person. So I had her for English, and then later on, I had an opportunity to sign up for kind of like an elective, an extra class that she taught, and it was called SAT prep. And God knows I needed that class more than anybody else. And so I signed up for uh, SAT prep with Mrs. Hilliard, and once again, she was amazing. and, And she taught me so many things that really did help me improve my score. And my mom made me take that test so many times, And it's because I wasn't scoring very well. And my mom was like, if you would just take it again, bless God, we're going to pray this time. And uh, maybe you'll just get a little bit better score. But through a lot of prayer from my mom and through the teachings of Mrs. Hilliard, uh, my score did improve. And I can say that Mrs. Hilliard was a good teacher, not just because she was kind and loving and gracious and she was those things. But I can say that Mrs. Hilliard was a good teacher because her teachings actually proved to be true. Everything I learned from her, I was actually able to apply to the test that I took, and it helped me do better on the test than I would have done had I not had her instruction. So why am I telling you this? Because Jesus cannot be a good teacher if his teachings are not true. You can't just be a good teacher just because you're a good person, and just because you go around loving people, and just because you go around praying for people. In order for you to be a good teacher, you have to have those qualities about you, but the teachings that you teach also have to be true. Imagine if Mrs. Sealyard had taught me all these just made-up things about the SAT. Imagine if when I took the test, I was more confused the second time and the third time, maybe the fourth time, than I would have been had I not had her instruction, imagine if everything that she taught me about English and SAT, SAT prep proved, proved to be false. Would I look back on my life and say, Mrs. Hildegard was a good teacher? Absolutely not. But how many people go through life and say, I believe Jesus was a good teacher, I just don't believe all the Son of God stuff? That is ridiculous. Either Jesus was a good teacher and his teachings were true and good, or he was a pathological liar and he duped millions of people over thousands of years and believing that he was the son of God when he actually wasn't. And I don't really believe that there's any in between there. Jesus, he's the son of God. He's the descendant of David. It says this in Revelation chapter 22, it says, verse 16, it says, Jesus, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches." He says this, I am the root and the descendant of David. And here's another name for Jesus. He says, I'm the bright and morning star. Romans chapter 1, verse 3, it says, Concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Every time you hear of Jesus being at the right hand of God, the right hand of God, you are hearing an echo of David's words, David's overhearing of the conversation in heaven from Psalm 110, verse 1. This Psalm 110 is the most often quoted psalm in the entire New Testament. This psalm shows up in Matthew, Mark, Luke, Acts, Colossians, Ephesians, and Romans. And that's just verse 1. Of that passage. Other verses show up in other places. So I want you to understand this, that Jesus, before he came down from heaven to earth, he had a position and a place in heaven. He seated at the right hand of God. He seated at the right hand of Jehovah or Yahweh before time, but before his time on earth ever started. He's seated there. David overhears this conversation between God our Father and God the Son, and he says, I want you to sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. Well, I don't know who I came to tell today, but that time has come, and Jesus is back on the throne, and his enemies today are under his feet. Because when he died on the cross for your sins and for my sins, he beat death, he beat hell, he beat the grave. And today he sits at the right hand of God and his feet are propped up on the enemies and the people who tried to bring him down. So if you find yourself in the room today and you feel like I'm absolutely going through the worst time of my life, can I tell you this? That there's a God in heaven. His name is Jesus. He's your Adonai. He's your Lord. He's your Savior. And he sits at the right hand of God. And he is believing for you right now that if you would just give your life to him, that you could also overcome the sin and the problems in your life. Jesus seated at the right hand of God. He's got the perfect view, the perfect place. He sits at the seat of authority. You know what he does? He looks down on earth and he sees all of us and everybody throughout history and our sin and our brokenness. And you know what he says? I'm going to leave my seat of power and I'm going to go down from heaven to earth and I'm going to take on human form. Now, he could have showed up like these kings that we talk about in the Bible. He could have showed up as the king of kings and the lord of lords and pomp and circumstance and a a fully grown man. He could have done that if he wanted to. But instead, he decided to come to earth as a human, and not just any human, but the most vulnerable and humble way you could ever show up as a human being. He showed up to likely a teenage mother who wasn't even married and he showed up as a baby. And he lives this perfect, sinless life. Not perfect in such a way that he didn't have problems. He had a ton of problems. Not himself, but there was so many problems around him that he had to overcome and he had to deal with. But despite his problems, and despite all the people who tried to come against him, despite the people who were constantly questioning him, despite all the religious leaders of the day, He lived this perfect sinless life, and every single place that he went, he did something that was just completely uncharacteristic of the religious leaders, where they always wanted to keep their hands clean, and they didn't really want to deal with people who had a lot of problems, and they had these long robes, and they had all this ceremonial washing and the things that they did to kind of separate them from sinners. Jesus shows up, and he says, you know what? I'm going to be a friend to the prostitutes in town. Jesus shows up, and he says, hey, you've got leprosy. Nobody wants to talk to you. Why don't you come over here? I'll heal you. Jesus surrounds himself with this ragtag group of disciples, these 12 men that most people didn't think very highly of. They're fishermen, and they're tax collectors, and there's these people that nobody really wants to have any influence with, any interaction with, and he says, you guys are going to be the dream team, the first ever dream team. There you go, the 12 disciples. And everywhere he goes, he preaches and he teaches about the good news, He says, you don't have to live in your sin. You don't have to live in your shame. Ignore what those religious leaders have put on you. There's a greater way that you can live your life if you would just come to me. He says, would you just come to to me and find rest? Would you just come to me? My burden is light and my yoke is easy. Would you just follow me? Would you just leave all that stuff behind? Everywhere you went, he healed people. He set the captives free. People who had been suffering their whole life and he taught about this kingdom that was so much bigger than our earthly perspective. He talked about this kingdom of God, which was really God's perspective of us from heaven, to say, you don't have to live like this. You don't have to live in this habit of sin and just feeling beat down all the time. But instead, you could choose to live for your creator. You could live in the kingdom of God, heaven on earth. You could live a better way where you're focused on, on me and you're focused on, on Christ instead of being focused on the problems right in front of you. Yet he knew in three days from this passage, in three days, the religious leaders were going to lead the charge and have him crucified. And so he says this in the second part of this teaching. He he gives a warning in verse 38. He says this to the crowd. He says, I want you to beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes. And they like greetings when people greet them in the marketplace. He goes, these people, they have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feast. But what you may not know, he says, in verse 40, they devour widows' houses, houses and for a pretense make long prayers they will receive the greater condemnation. I understand today that most uh, religious scholars um, don't walk around in long robes. And uh, I know uh, our world, we don't have like some big marketplace where like everybody goes all the time. So I kind of took this passage and um, I kind of put it in my own words a little bit. So here it is. This is the same warning that Jesus gave back then, but I want to kind of give you the same warning today. Watch out for religious scholars and proud pastors. These people love to walk around in fancy clothes, and they live to receive attention and compliments. They're very proud of their prominent positions, and they try to sit at the head table in the best seat at every opportunity. But behind the scenes, they often exploit the weak and helpless. The longer their prayers, the worse they seem to be, but they will pay for it in the very end. I want to challenge you this morning. I know it's hard at times, but I want to challenge you. It's the same warning that Jesus gave, and it's my warning for you today, is that you can't let people keep you from Jesus. You can't let people keep you from Jesus. Allow me to explain it in maybe a little bit uh, more humorous way, okay? Wave at me if you have ever been to a restaurant called Olive Garden. Just, all right, I told you, a little bit more humorous way. Um, earlier, I was saying it, uh, I was calling it the Olive Garden, and I was very quickly reminded that it's not, there's no the, apparently. It's just the Olive Garden. Uh, but, you know, in the South, we like to put the in front of things. We like to add S, you know. So if you guys, if you didn't know, like, the store is called Belk. It's not called Belks. I'm just, I'm setting people free today. You're like, what? Well, look at the sign. It says Belk, trust me. <laughs> but imagine you're going to the Olive Garden. Imagine you going to Olive Garden today after church And you get there, and there's just a like a long line of people. Apparently, everybody in town wants to go to the Olive Garden today, so you wait like an hour, hour and a half for a table. And you finally get there, and it's like the worst table in the place. And you sit down, and the table's just trashed. You're right. There's just like leftover food, and there's napkins on the table. The service is terrible. They take forever to get there. They finally get there. They they take your order, and they bring your food, and you start to eat it. And you're like, oh wow, this food is cold, fresh out of the microwave. And uh, you look at your plate, and there's like a hair. There's a hair in your food. And you're like, you know what? It's just a hair. It's no problem. So you just kind of move the hair to the side. Uh, anybody ever do that? Okay. I'm like, it's probably my hair. I don't know. Uh, just, if one hair, I'm good. I'm, I'm good with a one-hair meal. Uh, so just kind of move it to the side. No, come on. It might be your own hair. You don't know. It depends. It depends. It's, anyway. So I move the hair to the side. Well, then I look down at my food, and I see like a little bug. I'm like, oh, okay, All right. I, I got a one-hair limit. I can't do a hair and a bug. And then you keep scooping around, and the next thing you know, you find a hair on a bug. And you're like, come on, man. Like, I can't deal with this. They bring the breadsticks out. They're still frozen, okay? The salad is, is wilted, okay? I could go on and on and on and on. All of us have had, at some point, just a terrible restaurant experience, okay? We all have had a terrible experience. And for the record, I have not had that experience at the Olive Garden here in town. I'm sure it's a wonderful place, okay? I'm sure it is. it is. Anyway, but imagine you go to... Olive Garden, or maybe a different restaurant, and you had a terrible experience. Imagine if someone left Olive Garden after having that terrible experience and they said this Imagine if they said, I will never eat Italian food ever again. First of all, Olive Garden's probably not even real Italian food. Let's just talk about that for a second. They share a lot of the same names on the menu as some dishes. Okay, obviously that sounds kind of foolish. Like you wouldn't give up on all Italian food just because. Olive Garden had one bad experience with you. But how many times do people give up on the Lord and give up on church and give up on Jesus because they went to one church somewhere in some place and they had a terrible experience or someone did not serve them well? And um, I want to speak to those people just for a second. I know that um, not every church is healthy, and I know not every church has a good pastor like, like we do, and I know um, many of you in the room have likely come from different churches over the years, and you've had different, maybe a pastor or different leaders who have not treated you uh, very Christ-like, and um, I, I, don't, I don't know everybody's story, um, but I just wanted to take a moment and just say that that pastor um, is or that leader is likely never to apologize to you for what they did to you. But um, I, wanna, I want to apologize on their behalf and, and just say, I'm so sorry for what that leader said to you or did to you. Um, there's a word that is kind of popular in um, like church leadership circles right now. And it's this word, it says de-churched. Not unchurched, but de-churched. And what de-churched means is it's someone who at one point in time, maybe when they were a kid, or even older, they came to church, but because they had a negative experience, whether it's at the church or with the pastor or leader, whoever, they stopped going to church. And I want to challenge you that you can never let someone keep you from your relationship with Jesus. I know a lot of people say that they represent Christ and then they don't act Christ-like. Please don't hold Jesus accountable for the sins of men and women who have done wrong against you. And I don't say that from a place of... um, like I've got it all figured out. But I, I say that from a place uh, as someone who um, I've experienced some of that in my own life. I've, I've had some church hurt before, not at this church, but at other places. And uh, it's really hard. It's a real thing. And I just want to say, if that's you today and you came to today's service and you're giving God an opportunity or giving this church a chance, man, I'm so proud of you. Thank you so much for doing that. I know that takes a lot of courage to do that. And uh, here at Greenville First Man, we just want to serve you and serve your family and be a blessing to you. And and I hope we would never do anything to get in the way between your relationship with Jesus. But the warning that Jesus gave all these years ago, beware of the religious leaders. It's still a good reminder for us today. Of course, we know how the story goes three days later. We're going to hear about it several times over the uh, upcoming weeks as we continue our series in Mark. But three days later, these religious leaders formed a crowd, and they had Jesus crucified, nailed to a cross for your sins and for mine. But the good news is, after he was crucified, he rose again. And this is what we celebrate at Easter every year. We celebrate his, his incarnation, he, he, him coming from heaven to earth as a baby. We celebrate that at Christmas time, And at Easter, which is right around the corner, believe it or not, it's, it's in March this year, which is crazy. But in, at Easter, we celebrate his death, burial, and resurrection. And at first glance, you may say, well, why is it at Easter that we're celebrating his death? Why are we celebrating the fact that he was nailed to a cross? Oh, there's so much more to it than that, friend. We're not celebrating his death. We're not just celebrating the fact that he was nailed to a cross, but what we're actually celebrating is the fact that he rose again because through his death and sacrifice on the cross, he overcame death, hell, and the grave. I'm preaching this morning. Can I get an amen? Come on, help me out, somebody. So the fact that Jesus rose from the grave, the fact that he ascended back into heaven, it means that through the power of his Holy Spirit, the same spirit that spoke to David in Psalm 110, The same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead is available to all of us today. And the same spirit that did all these things is available to us so that we can overcome spiritual death in our own life. I want you to understand this full circle here. Psalm 110, David is hearing a conversation in heaven between Jehovah Yahweh and his Adonai, his Lord and Jesus. Two different persons. He's hearing this conversation. What's the conversation? Yahweh says to Adonai, says to Jesus, he says, I want you to sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. Well, today I can tell you this, that he's back in heaven and his enemies are under his feet. But Jesus is not just sitting in his chair in the reclined position, waiting on his time to return back to earth. No, he is actually very busy. Let me tell you what Jesus does every single day. He sits at the right hand of God, and he does this. Romans 8, verse 34, it says, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but more than that, who was raised to is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, it says, Therefore he is able to save completely those who come to God through him, because he always lives to intercede for them. It says, Such a high priest truly meets our need. Jesus, he is the one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. But unlike the other high priest, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, no. He doesn't need to offer a sacrifice first for his own sins, then for the sins of other people, no. He sacrificed for our sins once for all when he offered himself. Friend, I want you to understand today that when Jesus went back to heaven and he took his rightful place seated at the right hand of God, he's not sitting up there casually just waiting on his return back to earth. No, every single day he sits in that chair and he intercedes for you. You were always on his mind. There's never been a moment where he wasn't pleading on your behalf. And you say, what do you mean? He's pleading, he's intercessing. he's, He's intercessing for us. We sur- there, there's a real enemy in our world, Satan, who is an accuser. The Bible calls him an accuser. And what, in the, what Satan the accuser does is he's always accusing you and bringing up the things that you've done wrong. It's that voice in your ear that every time you make a mistake, it says, see, you're not good enough to be a Christian. See, God could never use you. See, you're just like your father. See, you're never going to be able to overcome your past. See, you're just another sinner. You're just another person. You're not going to make a difference in your life. And every time the accuser, Satan, is in your ear, and every time Satan is saying these things to you, you've got an advocate in heaven, seated at the right hand of God, that says, you know what, they may be a sinner, but through my death, burial, and sacrifice on the cross, my blood covers that. My blood covers that. You don't have to live in the same patterns that your parents taught you, I've covered that. You're not just a nobody, you're a somebody when you believe in Jesus. So right now, as we're seated in our seats at 1105 Haywood Road, Jesus is in his seat, interceding on your behalf every single day, every single night, and he wants one thing from you. He wants you to make him your Adonai, your Lord and Savior. So, My question for you today is this, who is Jesus to you? Is he just a good teacher? Is he just a descendant of David, a Bible character, the cross you wear around your neck, stories you tell your kids at night? Or is he truly your savior and Lord? Is he he truly the God that you serve with everything? You see, Jesus, every person he ever encountered, he challenged them to this question in one way or the other. Who is the Messiah? Who is the Christ? Who is the Savior? At one point in time, he even turns to his own disciples and he says, Who do you say that I am? I believe you've really got two options today. You can acknowledge that Jesus truly is the Christ, that he's not only a son of David, but he's also the son of God, that his words were true, that he died for your sins and mine, that he rose again, that you can find new life in him. Or instead, you could reject what you've heard today, but in doing so, you would have to claim that Jesus was a liar, he was a con man, and he's duped millions of people over thousands of years in the greatest hoax in human history. And I don't really believe there's any in between. So let's do this. If you'd be so kind to bow your heads and close your eyes. Our prayer team is going to make their way forward this morning. Today, i want to give you the greatest opportunity that anybody will ever give in your entire life to make the most, most important decision you'll ever make. And that is choosing to make Jesus your Lord and Savior. In a room like this, the crowd this size, I know that there's many people in here that are de-churched. I know that there's probably people in here who are unchurched. Maybe you've never even come to church before. Yet maybe there's many of us in the room that we are like the religious leaders. We've become judgmental and we often prohibit people from truly finding Jesus. But if today you would like to acknowledge that Jesus really is the son of God, that he really is who he says he is, and if you wanna make him the Lord of your life, you want to make him your savior, savior. I'm going to pray for you in just a moment. But I want you to take a second and ask yourself that. Who is Jesus to me? If that's you today and you want to make a commitment to Jesus, you, and you would say, you know what, Stephen, I, I know that I need the Lord. I, I know that I need to make him my savior. It's, it's been a long time, or maybe it's the first time ever. But nobody's looking around. I would never do anything to embarrass you, but I just want to know who I'm praying for today. Jesus is seated at the right hand of God right now, interceding, interceding for you. He's on the edge of his seat. He's saying, would you please give your life to me? Would you please let me come into your life and make you brand new? 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. But if that's you, I just want to know who I'm praying for. Could you just put up your hand and wave at me? If you want to give your heart to the Lord today to say, I need to make Jesus my Lord and Savior. I want to give you an opportunity to make the best decision of your life. I don't want to rush this moment. Maybe the Lord's still working on your heart. Amen. Amen. Church family, let's pray this prayer together. Say, dear Jesus, come on a little bit louder. Dear Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner, but I believe that you died for me. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. You rose again and ascended back into heaven. Today's the day I commit my life to following you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Church family, can we celebrate those giving their lives to the Lord today? Greatest decision you ever make in your life.